Today on the LA Food Podcast, I'm your host Lucas Servodio, but you can call me Ulysses because I'm about to lead you through an absolute odyssey of an episode. We're joined by none other than Brant Cox, LA editorial lead of The Infatuation, whose face you've probably seen on your social media feeds reviewing everything from Spanish tapas to sushi sandwiches. Brand tells us a little bit about his journey from Illinois to influencing Angelino's eating habits, and we cover fun topics like how the infatuation goes about rating restaurants and what anonymity means for food critics in today's social media-first world. Brant also gives us a sneak peek of LA Eats Con, the infatuation's two-day food experience coming to Santa Monica's Barker Hangar on May 20th and 21st. Needless to say, the man knows how to sell it, so mise en place your Apple Pay because you're going to want to cop some tickets. But that's not all. Father Saw joins me to recap an epic food crawl we took last weekend that took us all over this fair city, serving up everything from smash burgers to swordfish al pastor. We hit up fancy hotspots like Angler and Motherwolf to see if they live up to the hype and experience some truly all-time meals at Poltergeist and Anajak Thai Taco Tuesday. Whew! Without further ado, let's chow down. I could not be more excited. We are here today joined by a very special guest. It's the LA editorial lead of The Infatuation, Brant Cox. Brant, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I thank you honestly so much for having me. I this is this is already fun. Like, thank you. Good. We aim our our aim is just to please and make people have fun. So, uh that's I'm glad we're already succeeding. Brant, where are you calling us from? So I'm I'm in LA. I uh, I live kind of in the Fairfax, uh, Beverly Grove area. Awesome. And are you an LA native or, or are you a transplant? No, I am. Uh, I grew up in the Chicago area, but I have uh, lived in LA for about 16 years now, full time. Okay, so you're you're a bona fide Angelino at this point. Uh, I mean, I I would hope so at this point. Um, but yeah, I, LA is home. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Brent, how did you end up doing what you do now at The Infatuation, having been in LA for so long? What brought you to the food media world? Well, you know, it's it's a long story, but I uh, the first couple of years I was here in LA, I was doing um, uh, mostly performing at The Groundlings, which is a comedy school in the theater in Melrose. And I was performing with them for four or five years and doing most of, uh, making most of my money in voiceover to be honest. Um, no way. That's mainly what I was doing. Um, I was on the Simpsons for a couple seasons and, uh, and doing that. And um, the infatuation, uh, you know, it's kind of just one of those stories. It's like, I had some friends who were New Yorkers and knew of the infatuation, which at that point was the immaculate infatuation, which uh, was just kind of, if you were in New York in the, you know, 2010s, you, you kind of maybe had heard of it. And anyway, I had a few friends that knew of it and they were like, Hey, they're, uh, they're going to come to LA. Like, I think you'd be really good at this. And I always was eating food always, you know, I, I had some weird, you know, blog spot stuff in college and like that kind of thing. Um, so it was always, you <laughs> wait, know, wait, wait, how, how weird are we talking? No, not weird. Just me like talking about like college town, like my favorite stuff, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So like <laughs> that, that, that kind of, that kind of stuff, or like we would go on road trips and I would like, like spring break road trips. And I would like, blog about like the different restaurants that I would force, you know, my roommates uh-huh. to, to go to like that kind of stuff. 
that kind of stuff. Yeah, so correct. I, you know, I was always eating, I was at restaurants and some friends were like, you know, Hey, uh, you should, you should go out for this. But I was full time, uh, doing a bunch of other stuff. And I was like, yeah, we'll see. And, um, they came out, the co-founders, uh, two guys named Chris and Andrew, they came to LA and they were kind of searching around looking for new writers and things like that. And they came and saw one of my shows, um, actually. And then afterwards was like, you know, we would love for you, you know, uh, to, to, to do this. So I became a freelancer for about six months. This was before the infatuation even launched in LA. And then they offered me a full-time, uh, full-time job. And that would have been in summer of 2015 summer of 2000 okay so and at this point what was the infatuation putting out just like you know <laughs> one-off well, stories on la or what yeah it was basically uh what well, the first six months that i was freelancing that the website was not launched yet i no. myself and about like two or three other freelancers at the time were basically banking content and then all gearing up for this eventual launch and then once we launched uh, we launched with, you know, a handful of stories, some reviews of some of the bigger name restaurants at the time, um, and then just some kind of one-off stories and things like that. So we launched the website with with kind of a handful of different things. But yeah, at that point, I mean, it was a skeleton crew. Um, I was the sixth full-time hire at the infatuation at the time. Wow. So uh, it's changed a lot since then. I moved to LA in 2015 and was must have been one of the OG readers of the infatuation. What you said is so interesting because one of our favorite topics is food media. Uh, we like to see what, what eaters covering, what LA Times, New York Times, whatever, and track, track stories. But the infatuation is really interesting because it seems like the, the most successful outlet that's bridged like the, the food blog world into you know mainstream authoritative reviewing and informing readers. I'm kind of wondering how you guys strike that balance. Like how, how do you keep the content and sort of the the personality of the infatuation still like creative and fun and local while, you know, frankly, having a lot of authority, I think, in the food landscape in the cities where you're at. Is that a tricky balance or is it, you know, pretty natural based on the folks you bring in? You know, I think it stems from, from two things. One and most importantly is editorial integrity. And from day one, I, you know, I, you I know if you guys are, you know if if you've seen one of our stories you've seen it where we we show up unannounced we don't accept any any uh compensation from restaurants or PR firms and that's legit that's real and mm -hmm. and I would be in a whole lot of trouble if I ever did that in trouble from the infatuation and even back when we were uh you know a group just four or five six seven people you know the number one thing I was always told was do not ever pay for your own or have somebody else pay for your meal because especially as we were starting out we were new we were you know trying to get cred keeping our editorial integrity intact was the number one thing and you know and that was you know things were a lot different in 2015 but you fast forward to now it's like most of the public and you know readers everybody's kind of clued into this sort of pay for play thing that exists sort of throughout all of food media. People are a lot smarter about it now and they, people can call out BS left and right when they see it. And you ruin, you, you, you know, you, you destroy that editorial integrity or you lose the trust of your readers, then it's kind of over with. Then you kind of just become like everybody else. Right. So I think that's, that's number one. And number two is just 
being as relatable as possible at all times, you know? And I think that's when you, when you, when you think about infatuation tone and you think about, you know, our style, the relatability is the, the core of it, right? Is yes, we are, you know, we are food writers, we are restaurant critics and we are, you know, giving our takes on it, but we are doing it at least most of the time we are doing it to, in, in a relatable tone that someone can read this and stumble onto it and being like, I get, I understand what this person is saying, or like, oh, this is just another person who's living in Los Angeles too. Like, yes, they know what they're talking about and they, they're, they're a restaurant critic, but I can understand what they're, I, I, I get it. I know what I can expect out of that restaurant. And I think mm-hmm. that leads a lot of people to the infatuation. Yeah. Can I ask a question about anonymity, which has been a topic of discussion in in food criticism for a long time. And obviously, it's really hard to remain anonymous in today's social media climate, right? I'm wondering how you guys think about it, think about that and sort of navigate that, you know, vestige of food criticism. Yeah, that's a really good question. And, you know, to be honest, it's just sort of been, uh, it's a case by case thing. Because the thing for me, I've always been front facing in in the infatuation i you know on socials and whatnot and that was always a thing we were really uh it it goes back to the uh, the relatability factor is they wanted us to be you know our faces are on our bylines we are on social you know on our socials and doing and whatnot and i think you can strike this balance of being like hey this is the face that's writing these words that you like or these words that you trust and i think that makes that that gives a adds a trust element to for the readers but you also have to balance that, right? Like, yes, I do have aliases on Open Table and and Resi and all of them. And like, do I get recognized at restaurants sometimes? Yeah, I do. But at the end of the day, if you know uh, a, a restaurant or something is you know trying to you know bring out some some dishes, and we kindly ask them to be like, no, it's okay. We'd really like to, you know, we, we we're going to pay for this, and and that's inevitable. So you just you just kind of act like a human, right? You just, yeah. you, you act like a person. And, and I understand the rules of uh, my company and I will get spotted, but at the end of the day, I am going to keep that in integrity. Are there any defunct aliases you can share with us? <laughs> no, no. I've actually had the same alias for all. I need to get a new one, to be honest. I need to get a new one. <laughs> okay, uh, this is great. Then share it with us your alias so then you can pick a new one. <laughs> Because I don't have a good one yet. I, I have to have a I can't I have to have a strong branch to swing to. So fair I fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. Okay, I had to try. I had to try. It's journalism. Yeah, you you're know. not gonna get it from me today, but honestly, this is enough of a push for me to to seek out a new one. Good, good to know. And Saul, uh, that's a good point for us. We gotta come up with our aliases too. Um, yeah. well look, along these lines, well, first of all, I have to say, completely agree with you on the anonymity thing. I personally think anonymity is kind of bullshit at this point. Like there are certain like publications that really try to do it, but as you know, if you've read like Ruth Reichel's book or something, they had pictures of her all over the restaurants before she even went in and she was trying to be anonymous, right? So I kind of like that you guys are out there and just doing your thing, putting your face to it, and it creates that trust. Completely agree. But speaking of trust, I find with these with these kinds of reviews, and I review things on social media too every once in a while, but rating is so difficult. I like coming up with numbered ratings and trying to compare different types of restaurants, different types of foods. I'm wondering 
what is so to the extent that you could speak about it what is the process of coming up with these ratings out of 10. that is another very good very complicated question and something that honestly is an ongoing conversation within the edi editorial department uh, all the time right and what i can say is there is a, there is a bit of a you know kind of a hard and fast formula you know especially at the infatuation you know we're we're looking at a very cumulative uh cumulative sort of take on a restaurant and that includes obviously we're talking about the food if the food is any good or not but we are also looking at what is the atmosphere what's going on there who's there is this place you know and i think that's something infatuation has done really well from the get-go is to review restaurants in the way that regular people think about restaurants. And in this, and I mean regular people, just someone is like, hey, I've got my cousin in town and they like, uh, they don't eat this or that, but they really kind of want to have this kind of experience. Like what, what's good? And mm -hmm. I think we really, and that's how people look at going out to dinner. You know, even 10 years ago, people didn't go out to dinner as much as, or out to restaurants as much as they do now. Now people go out to eat all the time for all sorts of reasons. So we're looking at all of that, right? We are taking all of that into consideration. Obviously, food is paramount, but we're looking at vibe, atmosphere, uh, everything. And so, you know, we are combining all of that together into, you know, this formula, this, this number. But it's not a hard and fast formula, right? Sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, it is, if I go to a restaurant and I am just hot on it, like mm -hmm. I am hot, and this happens all the time. We have a writer's room and Another writer will go and be like, I don't know, that didn't really like speak to me as much. Like, and if I'm hot on it, I'm going to stay hot on it. And all that it boils down to is uh, that whether it's me or another writer, like make your case, right? Like state mm -hmm. your argument. And if you think for those out there who don't know the infatuation rates of restaurants on a scale of one to 10, zero to 10, zero being the worst, 10 being the best, right? And whatever that number is, just state your case, prove your argument. And, you know, a lot of times us writers are aligned. A lot of times we aren't aligned. And as long as you state your case, then that's what the editor is looking for. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and that case could be, you know, you know what, the food is fine, but like, damn, is that like not the best place to take an out of town or it makes LA look like a million bucks or, and eh, you know what, this place is like, you know, pretty boring, but like, if you want the best of this type of food, you know, in the, in the city, like go here and that's why I'm rating it this number. So there's no hard and fast formula. You really just have to break down your argument and make and solidify it. Uh, and yeah, so that's kind of the, uh, that's, that's kind of the long version of that, but it's, it's a constant, it's a constant discussion amongst editorial for sure. What's the, uh, are there any restaurants that have really caused you guys to like get at each other's, not throats, but you know, like cause some really serious divides within the office? Boy, oh boy. No, no, there, there hasn't been, there hasn't been a, you know, well, I think this is a 3.0. I think this is a 9.0. There's never been anything like that. A lot of it is like, you know, if... <clears throat> somebody thinks, Hey, I think this is, you know, this is one of the best restaurants of the year. And somebody says, I think it's a good restaurant. I don't think mm -hmm. it's the best restaurant of the year. It's, it's, it's kind of that. Oh, and one other point, I know I had another point to this. I think a lot about restaurants in terms of like, does it meet its assignment? Right. Did it, does it, did it accomplish what it was set out to do? 
And because and, I think some people, and, and I understand, you know, you look at some of our ratings, right? I think I'll name a restaurant that I reviewed last year, um, Tale of the Puff, right? Which is an old classic hot dog stand that came back um, after being closed for a number of years on, in West Hollywood. And I rated it a 7.9, which on the infatuation scale is a very good, strong rating. And I, uh, and to me, I rated it that because that place met its assignment, right? It like, it, if you want an old school hot dog with a whole bunch of nostalgia and you're a big LA history buff, you know, and you just want a hot dog and a shake, then like, you can't like, that's that they did it. They did it. Right. And, you know, versus let's compare it to maybe a prefix menu, a prefix restaurant that's $300 per person. And yeah, you can take a step back and say, you know what, Hey, that restaurant is doing some creative stuff, but I don't know if they really got there. Right. And you rated a lower restaurant. And so it's like, I'm not comparing tail of the pup to this restaurant. I'm comparing it just to how it, I mean, I might compare it to other prefix restaurants and yeah. other, other high upscale, you know, $300 per person restaurants, but I'm not comparing it to tail of the pup. They're its own thing. They're their own assignments and they've set out to do different things. And my goal is to see whether or not they accomplished it. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, very, very interesting. I think it's a question a lot of us have had, but look, speaking of bunch of restaurants, putting them all together, we want to talk to you about a big upcoming event that's coming up. Um, I'm going to pronounce it Eats Con. Did I do that correctly? <laughs> you did it great. Honestly, you nailed it. You can also say Eats Con and people uh, would, be, yeah, yeah. would be fine too. But... Fair enough, fair enough. All <laughs> right, well, what's, what's the idea behind the event? Like what's, what's the ethos? It seems pretty unique as far as food events go. So the, the co-founders of the infatuation actually came from the music industry prior to, uh, prior to starting the infatuation. And we really wanted to create EatsCon as sort of a food experience festival in the vein of a music festival, but where the restaurants are the headliners, right? And, you know, I, I, I don't have to explain to you guys that, you know, food festivals, you know, then and now, they don't always have the best reputations, right? It's like mm -hmm. you're, you're paying X amount of money to get these little cups of, of you know, tasters that are mass produced and people are walking around with lanyards with wine bottle, like wine cups on it. And it's just like, they don't have great reputations. Right. And it's kind yeah. of a get, you know, this capitalistic, like get in, get as much as you can and get out of there. And we really wanted to create an experiential festival. Right. But where the food is the, the primary, uh, the headliner. So you know, we're bringing in this year, we're bringing in 25 plus uh, vendors, not just from LA, but from across the country, which I think is another thing that is uh, unique and exciting to EatsCon is um, we've got 20 or so LA uh, restaurants coming in, but we also have uh, 7th Street Burgers from New York, which is one of the, uh, you know, the hottest burger spots over there. We're bringing tacos from Austin, sandwiches from Chicago, Filipino restaurant from Seattle, uh, an indigenous restaurant is coming from Phoenix. So it's a really, you know, yeah, you can check off some bucket list spots in LA that you maybe haven't gotten to, but it's also a chance to try some restaurants that you probably would never get to otherwise. Um, and that's, you know, on top of panelists and there's DJs and dance troops and things like that. So we really want this to be an immersive experience that you come with friends, you come with your family, and you can really just hang out four or five hours and 
you'll eat some, you'll take a break, you'll see some shows, you'll see a panel, you'll eat again. Um, it's really an all, all immersive experience. LA Eats Con was made for me as the Seattle co-host of the LA Food Pod. There's like no better event for me to come down and get like a, get a taste of the landscape. And it, it's really, really exciting to, to see the event, how much it's grown. And I'm going to, I, I want to ask, because you compared it to also a music festival. How do you go about curating your set list, right? How, how do you target which restaurants to choose? Is there a certain kind of restaurant that you think is best fit for an event like this? And how do you essentially create the diversity uh, of, of experiences here? So folks attending like us and like, I, I like our listeners should to have the best possible time and best possible experience. Yep. That's a great question. Uh, it, first and foremost, it's, you know, the edit team sits down and we say, all right, of the past year, what are the restaurants that we're most excited about, right? What, what, are, what are the hits? What are the places that we, you know, we want, we want there? And we start there. And, and that's specifically in the LA market. And then, you know, we, the diversity is a massive element, right? Like this, I, I, I'm sorry to your as Seattle resident, but I fully believe that LA has the best food in the country. Um, and we don't want 20 restaurants that are all in Santa Monica and Venice. Like we, you know, there, we want to show the entire fabric that exists of the restaurant scene in Los Angeles. And so diversity is a huge thing because that is so incredibly important to, uh, I mean, obviously not just the food in LA, but any food scene anywhere, this diversity is what makes it special. So, um, you know, so it's, it's that it's, and, and then we're reaching out to people. We're seeing um, some people, you know, will kind of get back to us and say, Hey, we're thinking of this idea. And we'll be like, awesome like let's roll with it so there's a lot of collaboration involved like it's not just us coming to these restaurants and saying do this we will certainly pitch to them and offer you know them a vending spot but then they'll come back to us and be like hey what about this and we're all game for that and so it's a constantly for about three four months it is this constantly shaping beast that just is all constantly evolving what are you most excited to eat or experience this year You've named a few ones. I mean, uh, that some of those places that you listed off, I'm I'm particularly excited for now. But I'm curious, are there any under the radar that you you want to check out? Okay, so the under the radar spots. Um, well, I've I, it's one of my favorites because it, it's down the street from me here. Uh, it's in Little Ethiopia in uh, on Fairfax, and it's called Flavors from Afar. And it is only a couple years old, um, but they've kind of just starting to get their footing. But it is a basically an incubator space that the menu changes each month and they have a new chef in the kitchen each month. month. And each chef is a refugee from a uh, uh, from a new culture, from a new uh, from a new country. And 100 percent of all the proceeds go to this uh, nonprofit that supports refugees that are moving into Southern California and helps them with um, getting housing and um, economic uh, opportunity and whatnot. And the food is across the board incredible. It is I, truly, I think, one of the most important restaurants in the city and also legitimately incredible food. Like these are like just mind blowing. And this month, I believe uh, it's a Guatemalan chef, but the previous month it was a Nigerian chef before that. And so it's constantly changing and they're going to be at EatsCon. And I just think 
Yeah, you know, it's a name that maybe some people haven't heard of yet, but like I can't encourage enough for everyone to go there and try it. It is such a special place. Flavors from afar, writing it down. Flavors right from now. afar. Where uh where can people buy ticks? So uh tickets are available at eatscon.com. That is five E's, uh always five E's on the Eats. And mm, uh tickets are thirty dollars, and that includes all of the panelists, the programming, and speaking of the panelists, we've got some great lineups. We've got um, Ali Wong is coming this year. Uh, uh, Ayo Adebari, who is the star uh, on The Bear. Yeah. Uh, Rami Youssef is coming, is going to do like a comedy hour. And then if you're, you know, a, a Top Chef fan, actually, um, Gail Simmons and Tom Kalikia are coming and doing this 20th. Uh, it's like this anniversary of the, the 20 years of the show. And Brooke Williamson is going to uh, host it. So it's like it, you can kind of get anything you want. So the Holy 30 bucks cover is, yeah, Wait, it's big time. Mind, man. You just blew <laughs> our mind. So the, the entrance covers all of that, covers any kind of experiential, uh, DJs, sets, dances, any of that kind of stuff. Um, and then you do pay for the food separately. But, you know, to talk on to that effect, we uh, when you're buying from – when you're buying at the restaurants, you're buying – quite literally what I said, you are buying the food from the restaurants. Um, that profit goes directly back to them. We believe that is the most equitable, equitable part, uh, equitable way to approach this kind of concept. Um, otherwise it's uh, pay everything at the door. And I think a lot of people kind of just get um, scammed out of, uh, out of the experience. Um, but this way, you know, that if you're standing in line for a place, the money that you are putting towards them is going directly back to the restaurant. You know what? I don't hate that at all because to your point about food festivals earlier where it's just like little cups and like troughs of people going to them and like I do feel like you end up eating so much that you just leave like uncomfortable because you think you're eating the small portions at every single booth and then you, everything just kind of melds into one too. So I, I, I kind of I really like that approach. I appreciate it. Yeah, well, good, good. And, you know, honestly, for me, I mean, having done some of these food festivals, even before I got into all this, I always remember thinking, like, you know, you walk around with these little cups of something, and it's like, can you actually say you ate at that restaurant? You know, like, you're you're in this plastic cup with two carrots in it, and you're like, I didn't actually eat from there. That's not a dish that's on the menu at that restaurant. And so it's like, for me, I always been like, I don't even know if I can say it. But here we really let the chefs create their own menus. Most of the dishes, um, some, there are some special dishes that are made. Um, we've, uh, we always do a, a collaboration with Shake Shack and this year it's Shake Shack mm -hmm. and Found Oyster are doing a, a chicken schnitzel sandwich. Uh, it's basically like their play on like, it's basically chicken Caesar salad, like on a sandwich. So there, there are some special event stuff um, without question, but for the most part, the stuff that you're going to be eating at these vendors are things that are bridged versions that you can find at the restaurant that's themselves. Yeah. Are, okay, we're going a little off script here, but you mentioned Top Chef. Are you a Top Chef fan? Okay, I'm, I'm not like, I'm not a diehard. I'm not a diehard. So okay. I can't like totally, uh, I, can't, I can't totally go in, but like, of course it's Top Chef. Like I know, yeah. you know, I know the things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We, uh, we have a fantasy Top Chef bit that we do here, and uh, Saul is kicking my ass in it, but we still absolutely love the show, and the fact, we didn't even know that Tom and, Tom and Gil were going to be there, so, you know, now we're going to be there with bells on. Yeah, it's, uh, it's it, I, I actually just found that out a couple days ago, too, and I was like, what? I was like, that's <laughs> big time. Yeah, it's, uh, 
It's 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 exciting stuff, yeah. And apparently this season right now, I was just talking to some friends. The, this new season is great, right? The, 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 is that right? Uh, okay, you're shaking your head. Okay. Yeah, um, it's really good. They've gone to London. The, the challenges are totally just off the charts. Just really, that's just a perfect food show. It's a perfect food show. Yeah, uh, it, it really is. Well, look, we got we got a final sort of like uh, a game we'd like to play with you if you're down for it. Um, yeah. We, we have a massive appreciation for the infatuations famously like creative social media segments. For example, I have really enjoyed the recent series in which you review restaurants that are uh, uh, hot on TikTok to see if they're actually any good. I particularly like the Erewhon one. Um, and I got to say, I'm still going to go try the, uh, the, the, the sushi sandwich, but you, you, you did inspire me with a ton of confidence, but yeah. Um, uh, we wanted to, we were imagining that the pitch room at the infatuation is probably a pretty, a pretty exciting place to be. So we, we kind of did a pitch room of our own and came up with some ideas and we wanted to float them by you. Love it. Okay. So you go first. All right. It's so funny. You mentioned, first of all, we are top chef diehards as Lucas said, and I am so, so excited to get to see Tom Gale and Brooke, the champ in at, at Eats Con. It's going to be so fun. And one of the pitch ideas we actually brought was. Every time I watch a season of Top Chef, it's really cool to watch all the chefs compete. But you go, well, where are they now? What are they doing? Are they any good? And I think a handful of, of former contestants and winners have restaurants in LA. So what if the infatuation did a who is the top chef of the top chefs in Los Angeles? Go to new restaurants, go to the most recent openings they have and say, hey, you know, they might have won their season six, but now they're really killing it at Daybird or some other place. Top Chef series in los angeles what do you think i like it's spicy it is spicy uh because uh, that could hurt some that could hurt some feelings too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and i gotta say i've been to like some of the top chef restaurants in the past and been like this is just mid so i feel like it could have a similar like flavor to the one you guys just did on the whether the viral restaurants are any good I agree. I agree. And the thing is, is a lot of them have multiple projects, right? So I think you kind of, you know, they leave some in the dust and they move on to the, the, the sexier projects. Um, but I like it. Okay. Here's the, here's the next idea for you. One star Yelp restaurants to see if they really deserve one star. Obsessed. Absolutely <laughs> obsessed. I think that's great. I, like, I, I think Yelp is one of the craziest places on the internet. And like, I like we, oh my God, I, we will just sit there and like read some of these reviews. And like, I just think it is so unlimitedly, unlimitlessly funny. Like it is so great. I yeah. think that is, I think that's amazing. I think it's amazing. Yelp is really modern theater, isn't it? Just like in the, in the wild happening in real time. Like fully feral, like fully, <laughs> like, like there is, there's no limit. There's no rules. There's, people just say anything. They'll yeah. review anything. It's, I, I don't want to say it's my favorite place on the internet because I actually hate it. It's my least favorite. But it's also, because of that, it's also kind of my favorite. Like, yeah. it's just insanity. Yeah, no, totally. Okay, glad you like that one. So I'll give, give them the night. We'll do a couple more since these are going well so far. We haven't been fired from our imaginary roles at the infatuation. True. Yeah, you're still on staff for sure. All right. Brent, what do you think of a ranking of every restaurant Pete Davidson has been photographed at with the headline, the best restaurants to find your next rebound. Bam. 
That's great. I, my only note is I think those are two guys. I think those are two separate guys. <laughs> I think we just simply do a power ranking of the places that Pete Davidson's been photographed at. I think that that in and of itself, that's one guide. That's one guide. And then you do the separate rebound guide, 100%. Yeah, because we just did one that like really popped off. That was like uh, the uh, it was like a power ranking of the celebrity owned restaurants, and uh, so it was like and but it included like Nobu because does anybody know that Robert De Niro yeah is the owner of Nobu? <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, that I, I, some, I, you know. I remember reading I mean, that guide. It was so interesting. It was so interesting to see because there were a whole bunch of celebs. I had no idea. I did not know De Niro was the owner of Nobu until I read that guide. Great, great piece. Mm-hmm. So right. I, any celebrity content, we're all in. Well, we have a couple other celebrity ideas, but we'll, 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 keep, those, we'll keep those, you know, tucked away. You know, you'll have to – we're not giving those away for free, okay? The one we will give you for free is one more. We're going to do it a bracket style competition of the best restaurant in every neighborhood in LA that we decide that infatuation decides, or is it a fan? I, so based on how this most recent taco madness is going of LA taco, I don't know if you've been following it, but talk about barrel. It's been barrel. Uh, I, I would recommend votes because I swear more people are voting for the LA taco challenge than for city council races. Oh, 1,000%. Uh, I agree. And, you know, the, I mean, and the readers love the engagement, the interaction. And I think that's, I think that's a great idea. People want their voices heard. They want, and, and I get it. They, they want to feel like we're, you know, that they're a part of us and it's because they are. Yeah. Brent, I'm a little disappointed. I wanted to be savaged Simon Cowell style for having a bad idea, but that's okay. Maybe next time. <laughs> Next time. I mean, I know you have shitty ideas, so just save them. <laughs> Pause. Any last questions, Saul, before we uh, before we let Brant go? No, Brant, just thanks so much for joining us. This has been super fun. Can't wait for EatsCon. We'll be there with bell, bells on, yeah. like Lucas said. Yeah, uh, this, has been, this has been super fun. Uh, I'd love to do it again. And yeah, uh, EatsCon weekend. Come find me or, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely cross paths. Absolutely. Thanks, Brant. Come back anytime. Will do. We're back with Father Saul. We're about to uh, recap an epic food crawl that we had across Los Angeles. But first, Brent was pretty cool, don't you think? Big fan of Brent. Big fan of Brent. Cool story, cool background. And he's he's an OG, man. He's like the, the original infatuation LA guy. Yeah, I got to say, I mean, like, you know, we we have – always thought of the infatuation as like competition you know in terms of like (laughs) okay i should speak for myself as like a very small time influencer who puts together lists i'm like oh yeah the infatuation is the big bad the big bad you know behemoth to take down and when you talk to brandon you know it's like no these they're really nice people who actually know their shit so you know (laughs) massive respect i mean I, I, I do not have the same relationship, but I feel like this uh, quote-unquote rivalry you got is like when uh, when the Sixers are like, oh, we're in a huge rivalry with the Celtics, and the Celtics are like, we're not even worried about those guys. We don't even think yeah, about them. <laughs> that's exactly right. It's, ve- it's very much motivation for me, but it's all in good spirit, right? Um, anyway, speaking of good spirits, today we're doing something very special. We are recapping a food crawl we took last weekend when Father Saul was in town 
to really sort of get his education up about what's hot in Los Angeles right now when it comes to food. So before we begin, I just want to know from you, Saul, because we've done a lot of crawls in our day. We've done taco mm. crawls. We've done bar crawls. We've done, you know, just disgusting crawls through the streets of various cities around the world at night when we're trying to find our Airbnbs. What do you think makes a good food crawl? Good food crawl. Good food crawl in particular. It's So the key to any crawl, first and foremost, is convenience, right? The ideal crawl is in the kind of neighborhood where you can hit multiple spots on a given street or a couple block area. And so you, gotta, you have to keep in mind, like, having some level of ease of access to multiple great spots to hit. You need diversity, right? You don't want to be hitting the same, like, four steakhouses in a row, right? You got to have multiple options. And uh, and then vibes, man. It's got to be the right vibe. Yeah. The place has to place has to be good. And I got to say, given all those factors, LA is really a, a top-notch crawl city. Top-notch crawl city. Top-notch, but also tough to plan because it's so big, so sprawling, and kind of like we were talking with Brant about, so diverse when it mm. comes to its offerings and its neighborhoods that in order to give you a representative sample, you've really got to put in some planning. No, you really do. And and you really did. Credit to you. Impressed by your itinerary. But but yeah, in LA, the crawl has to be like committed to a neighborhood, ideally, or like an, a region, right? Speaking, speaking yeah. of convenience. And you like, again, to really crawl LA, take months. You got to live yeah. there, right? <laughs> it's, a, it's a marathon, not a crawl. Well, <laughs> my itinerary was absolutely outstanding. And I'm just putting a call out to the listeners. If you ever need a food crawl itinerary, we will start selling them uh, under our LA Food Podcast banner. So please hit me up. Uh, but I, I, I purposefully wanted to start our food crawl in a place that I know you hadn't spent as much time as other parts of the city. Because whenever you come, we tend to stick around the east side, downtown, um, Silver Lake, Echo Park, Highland Park, those types of neighborhoods. So I completely threw away that playbook and said, we are going to begin the food crawl in Santa Monica. And in the spirit of wanting to have some diverse foods, I wanted to mix up high-end restaurants and low-end restaurants in terms of just like price, right? Um, price and sort of like caliber of food. I didn't want it all to be fine dining. So in order to start the day on sort of like a, a bit of more a more informal note, because uh, Father Saw here is notoriously late to most things, um, I started at a place that I knew we could just roll up, which was heavy-handed mm. in Santa Monica on Main Street. Smash burgers. Now, I picked this specifically because I know that Saul is a big burger guy, and I wanted him to taste one of the best that is on offer in Los Angeles right now. So let's begin with heavy-handed. What did you? What did we order? And what did you think, Saul? We ordered the the, the straight double smash burger and some uh, beef fat fries, and it was delicious. I it, it, I told you at the spot that heavy-handed meal made me very excited for the inevitable burger countdown. I think in LA in particular, ton of great offerings. And I think heavy-handed in particular really nailed the smash burger perfectly, right? It wasn't like overly crispy, like a thin slice of beef. It had juice, but it was uh, flavorful, well, um, well charred, perfect toppings, perfect ratio of like gooey sauce, cheese, pickles to the burger, great bun. I mean, it was the perfect way to start with the crawl. And I got to say, you had warned me that I wasn't allowed to eat anything before the crawl. And I got so nervous to like ruin my appetite 
that I didn't eat for like 18 hours. And it was the perfect, the perfect start <laughs> to the day. Because it has happened before that I have big dinner plans and Father Saul rolls up and has had like barbecue four hours before <laughs> that. And then all of a sudden we show up to this amazing restaurant and he's not even hungry. So I knew I had to give very clear instructions. Look, I completely agree with you. I've had now pretty much all of the greatest smash burgers in the city now, I believe. Mm. I've had Gold Burger, which I know that you've also had. I had um, The Window, which I believe you mm. also had this time around as well. Mm-hmm. I've had uh, one called Proudly Serving, which I quite liked, and another one called Easy Street Burgers in the Valley, which this influencer, How Kev Eats, says is one of his favorites. So mm. I've decided to go check it out because I am easily influenced. Now, I have a theory on smash burgers and i used to say that they were overrated i used to say that they were a scam but now i've got a different take smash burgers are like making out uh-huh okay expand on that yeah allow me to, <laughs> I, i'm allow immediately me to feeling bad for every girl you've ever made out with <laughs> <laughs> um so before you ever make out with someone you think to yourself, I don't really get the appeal. I've had kisses before. You know, my grandma has kissed me. My, my, you know, my, uh, my mom has kissed me. My dad's even kissed me when he's feeling a little frisky. And yeah, kisses are nice and affectionate, but I don't really get why everybody's like itching to make out with these girls in, you know, in our grade. And when you finally get there, when you finally get there, you're like, holy shit, I get it now. This is amazing. This is incredible. This is better than I could have ever imagined. However, it's called first base for a reason because what happens after you've made out, you start to think, hey, there's a second base, there's a third base, and oh my God, there's a home. And so to me, this is exactly how I felt about Smash Burgers. The first time I was like, I don't get it. I've had burgers before. What's, they're going to be smashed, so what? I had the first one from Proudly Serving, and I was like, oh my god, this blew my absolute fucking mind. Incredible. But quickly, I started to realize it's just not doing it for me anymore. There's diminishing marginal returns. I want more. You know, Every time I have one, I'm like, this is the same dog, dog trick, and pony show every time. I, I need more. I need some creativity. And I, I just feel like I'm ready to go to second base with burgers, and, and smash burgers are no longer doing it for me. So there's a lot to unpack there. Um, I feel like everything you just said should have actually been like a burner account Reddit post that you just put into the world and no one knows it's you. Because if I'm understanding correctly, you're saying when you were growing up, you're like, you kissed your grandma and you were like, not for me. And then when you looked at girls your age, you were like, oh, I have to kiss them. That's gross. But then only when you yeah, did com- have your first makeout, you were like, oh, wait, yeah. There are other things beyond making out. I'm excited for that. This is a this is it's a tough. whole like this is a therapy appointment that you got to make tomorrow, maybe. But I'm glad. <laughs> but I, but I think I think I get where you where you landed the plane here, which is that there's I, I think I get it, which is that Smash Burgers. The the critique here is that Smash Burgers are so similar across the board. I, I, I get right. So you're like, oh, this is just like making out again, another Smash Burger, yeah. the same vibe. I want more. And I, and I see where you're coming with that. It is pretty thin margins between, you know, different styles, different kinds of smash burgers. I personally have to like, have to sit down and think about what actually makes one greater than the other, aside from yeah. not eating 18 hours before you had it, which might've 
<laughs> might have played a factor in how much we enjoyed Heavy Handed. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think I'll go as far as Smash Burgers are like making out. I'll let that be your thing, uh, your your personal tagline. But uh, I, 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 I see where you're coming from. I see where you're coming from, I think. <laughs> look, look, and there's good kissers and bad kissers, right? So like marginal differences, right? But at the end of the day, I just feel like it's everybody's doing the same thing now. Like it's all Smash Brothers <laughs> everywhere, <laughs> and, and look, hey, still amazing way to start the crawl. And I, I do think actually having like a few bites of a burger, that is, it's like having a slider. It's like having an appetizer. So in terms of actual crawl planning, I would do it again. No, I would definitely do it again. I, I, I really enjoyed it. I'm not done with this makeout burger conversation. We'll save it for the burger countdown. Much to unpack there, but. Yes, it was a great way to start, and I should note also a key to the crawl that I didn't that I didn't note: portion size. Portion size for a yeah. food crawl is key, right? Because you don't want to be, you know, break like having your first thing of the day, and we each kill two double double smash burgers, right? And then we're done. Yeah. No, we we really yeah. paced it out perfectly. So when we hit our next spot right down the street, oh, it hit perfectly. Crudo, we so nudo, the next baby. Spot- the next spot we just walked over to a few doors down on Main Street, and as Saul just said, it was Crudo and Nudo, the wonderful like raw bar concept brought to us by Brian Borneman and Lena, Lena Culhane. I, I hope I pronounced that correctly. But I talked about them recently because I recently went to their new restaurant, Isla, but mm-hmm. I'd never been to their OG restaurant, Crudo and Nudo. And I got to say, in terms of like how to chase a burger so that you're like still wetting the appetite but not fully full, I think we did pretty good here. No, it was perfect. The vibes, the vibes meter at that place is off the charts. Just a nice sunny day in Santa Monica. You order inside, easy at the counter, sit on the, on the little patio out front and have a couple of really deliciously prepared, uh, you know, crudos, right? A couple, a couple really tasty, like light but creative and 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 satiating but not too much it was it was really a perfect next step and i gotta say when we hit crudo we noodle i was already having a great time at heavy-handed that was the moment uh where i was like hold on am i a west side boy do i do i like santa monica it would be yet another in a long list of things i talk heavy shit about and then immediately get corrected charbel top chef being one of the more recent examples of that i've certainly talked to you as a friend, yeah. I was like, yeah. "Who is this corny ass, tight pants Italian boy?" And then look at us, look at us now. Um, so, so it, it uh, not only was crudo nudo great, not only was it the perfect mid spot, right, second spot following the burger. Um, it really made me appreciate what the West Side has to offer. And who knows? Who knows? Maybe it's in my future. Yeah, well, better than Seattle for you hosting the LA Food Pod. I will say we <laughs> ordered the uh, the trio of crudos mm. and the three. Crudos we got were all white fish. Mm-hmm. I think there was a halibut. There was a striped bass. I particularly like the striped bass that was served with zaatar. Mm, um, yeah. And I, I mean, you, you could put zaatar on like, you know, um, like uh, rotten flesh of, or something, and I would probably still like it. Um, but uh, I, I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I got to say, I, we ordered a trio of crudos, and I just wish there was a different fish in there like three white fish even though they were different fish i just i just wish we had like a salmon or something something to just break up the the whiteness you know <laughs> me every day bro uh but <laughs> but, but yeah, you, you have a point but also what i appreciate about the place is that the preparation of each was so unique that it wasn't like for me it wasn't like white fish white fish there was one this 
beautiful, I don't know which fish was prepared how, but there was a zatar fish, entirely different flavor from this really beautifully prepared uh, dish with like a, amazing olive oil just dotting the plate. Yeah. Um, and, and then the, the other one had like a citrus, I think, like a citrus juice that, yeah. the, that the fish that was sitting in. Had like a, a yuzu dashi or something yes. like that. Really good, yeah. That's right. So I so while while the fish was pretty similar, I found the preparation and the diversity of that really cool. And again, just like it, it was a it was a place where you sit outside and you just feel good. You just feel good being there, right? It, it's a yeah. perfect Saturday afternoon on the west side. Kudui Nudo. Well, from there we finally got into an Uber. And we Ubered over to West Hollywood where we spent the rest of the evening. And I had to take Saul to one of my favorite spots on the entire planet probably, and that is Pizzana. Mm -hmm. um, he had never been to Pizzana before, but as many of you on this podcast who have listened before know, I am a massive Daniele Uditi acolyte. I just am like, uh, if he's Jesus, I'm like all 12 apostles basically. <laughs> um, uh, we ordered, we sat down at the West Hollywood location, which by the way, isn't the most like you know warm location i think if i'm going out for dinner i'd probably choose the brentwood or the silver lake or the, the sherman oaks location i think west hollywood's probably best for takeout but still nice place to sit down and we ordered what i think is the must order there which is the kasha baby pizza now mm -hmm. i've spoken at length about daniela's pizza so let's hear your take Saul. no really really great spot and great pizza uh, totally get why the why you order the Cacio e Pepe. I really did enjoy it. Probably not my first choice if I were to go back, just because the amount of cheese is like not typically my go-to. Um, the way it's served, but delicious pie. And even though the vibes were like we we're now like inside, like you said, it's more of like a, a the, the vibe is a little bit more muted versus like where we were initially at on Main Street in Santa Monica. But it was still a great time, and the food was the the pizza was amazing. And in fact, uh, a little spoiler. We later that later that weekend, because I had enjoyed the pizza so much and want to try another, I actually ordered in Pizzana just a margarita pizza straight up and oh, fucking yeah. loved it. Fucking loved it. It was so good. I'm sure better in house at the restaurant, but just an excellent, excellent pizza. We could just like you I, I could again, we were pacing ourselves so we only I only had one slice. But I even even with the Cacio Pepe not being my like top option choice, I could have killed that pie. I could have just like not yeah. even just like crushed the whole thing because perfectly light cooked all the way through in a really a really nice way so the pizza holds up well but it still has like the melty gooey sensation of almost having a neapolitan while also serving the the structure and crunch of a, of a more fully baked pie no it was excellent bro only having two slices of that pizza was like torture for me <laughs> like having it in front of me that was like those people that get off on just like not not doing it if you know what i mean I mean, that's that's what it was like for me. It was just like watching it. At, like, it was hard, dude. It was really hard. <laughs> the people who get off on not doing it. So to recap, we've we've established that you hated, then loved making out, and also hate to finish. Because <laughs> you, you <laughs> that, 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 that's how Luca gets down, yeah. apparently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's not not the direction we want to take this podcast in, but it's where we <laughs> ended up. In, okay, so it's where we finished if you will now we are uh we are uh continuing the food crawl we've made it to pizzana it was an incredible so far three spots and we're still hungry because we paced it out so well so we this time we get into my wife's car and we go over to the beverly center and i mm. think that saul was a little surprised that we were about to go to the mall but we weren't just going to the mall we were going to angler 
uh, Angler 2.0, I should say, which is the the sort of like reborn version of Angler 1.0, which was Joshua Skeen's uh, uh, seafood restaurant that recently closed there. And we went to go check out this new version, see how the food is, see how the vibes are. Any initial takes on Angler? No, was, Angler, Angler was really great. Um, open uh, Cooking on open flame is the, is the key concept. So we were seated right next to a, like a, a wall of fire. And uh, no, I, I really yeah. liked the food there a lot. It was funny, earlier in the dinner, first of all, I should say, they didn't skimp on spice, and I like that. They, they, they will bring the heat yes. in those dishes. That's true. And, like, and, and, and I, I like that they, they didn't shy away, didn't try to uh, you know, cater to their you know, Beverly Center, probably older white audience. They were like, this is spicy, got a deal. And it was funny, halfway through the dinner, we were like, you know, this is very good food, but nothing's blown us out of the park yet, right? Like, it's a solid place, but, you know, yeah. there's no, no one dish that stands out. And then we ordered, well, we tried to order the Iberico uh, ham. We think we might have got... No, we did. We oh, did. we did. Okay, no, okay. we did. I, I verified. I, I think initially we thought we got a different dish, but I, I right. went back, I verified we did indeed get the Iberico, the Iberico pork. And man, if you are ever in Beverly Center, you got to stop by Angler and you got to get that dish. That was That was the moment of the dinner where, like, you slow down chewing like you put the you put the slice in your mouth and you're like oh i want to i want this to take 30 minutes <laughs> to finish chewing because yeah. it's so delicious so perfectly yeah. prepared and that was the dish where it's like okay damn they do have like they got that next level and i appreciated that i will say angler the the mall vibe was like a little like not my favorite place to go eat yeah but when you step yeah. inside the ambiance the way they set it up is really nice we felt transported we could have been in vegas in new york wherever yes. like they really do a good job of like you transporting you in, in the interior and then you know just serving great food but that's the point right you couldn't have been like in echo park you couldn't mm -hmm. have been in on like even on third street and like you were in vegas you were in like, you know, it, it was a mall restaurant and it's hard to get away from the fact that it was a mall restaurant. Like it felt like a mall restaurant the entire time. Not like a not like a shitty Olive Garden, but like, a you know, ritzy Las Vegas mall restaurant. And it's not it's not a bad thing, but it is something to know. Like you're not coming here for sort of like a you know, uniquely tailored fine dining experience, this feels a little bit more mass produced. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it's just something to note because I, I think I told you this on our food crawl, but there's there's a couple types of new LA restaurants that are opening up. There's unique concepts, and then there's new iterations of places from other cities, other neighborhoods. And it, it, it's like Hollywood remakes, basically, mm -hmm. right? It doesn't mean they're necessarily bad, but they're missing a little je ne sais quoi. And to me, that's what this had. So this is a restaurant that was first in San Francisco by Saison Hospitality Group. And Joshua Skeens, the original chef, was the chef that founded Saison and Saison Hospitality Group. The chef that's now taken over here at Angler is Brian Limoges, who is Saison Hospitality Group's, and his LinkedIn calls him their quote-unquote corporate chef. And I have to say, there was an element of that throughout the food. And what I mean by that is, to Saul's point, a lot of the dishes we had were very good, but none really hit you in the face. They were they were pretty like measured. Even mm -hmm. the ones that were a little out there, like for example, the hot fried collar, which was mm -hmm. basically like a, like fish but done uh, hot chicken style. It 
felt like it took one of the safest preparations that everybody likes and applied it to a slightly risky, you know, cut of fish. And it just came across, it, it didn't quite hit the mark for me. Mm -hmm. You know, it just, it did. I'm not going to like wake up at night thinking of that dish. I even forgot we had it until I went back and looked back at the pictures. Um, there's like swordfish that's on Al Pastor, which is a similar concept. And I, and I just think like, if we had gone that entire meal and not had the Iberian pork, I would be like, you know, fun, mm -hmm. picturesque yeah. place, but there's no need for you to go there. There are a million restaurants like this. But mm -hmm. to your point, that Iberian pork really saved the day. Truthfully, I mean, we had incredible food over the food crawl, but that's one of the best dishes I've had all year, let alone mm -hmm. on the food crawl. One of the best bites of the crawl for me, for sure. Probably, like you said, best bites of the year, probably up there. No, it, and, I, and I think one of the things you're touching on is when you when we do this food crawl, we're going to get to a couple spots where when we went, it was like, you can only get this in L.A. It, the vibe is like, this is this is L.A. special, L.A. unique, and you're not going to yeah. find this kind of uh, concept or food or um, or combination in any other city. And Angler was like, a, as we mentioned earlier, you could kind of be anywhere. You kind of be, you could be in San Francisco, you could be in Vegas, you can be in New York. Um, which is okay. Great restaurant, very solid spot. Um, but I think between like the the vibe uh, of it being sort of a mall restaurant and the fact that the food isn't like you know stand out unique necessarily aside from that great pork dish, probably the probably the restaurant I'm least likely to revisit or or think about revisiting versus like a you know heavy handed crudo pizzana and some others that we're gonna about, about to get to. Yeah, I would I would revisit it for like the right occasion. Like if mm. this if I need like a rowdy birthday party spot that feels a little fancier and a little more upscale, that's a little Instagrammy, I would definitely go for it because go there because I know that you're you're getting food that the mass like a bunch of people are gonna think is really good. I mean look, I, not everybody is as like, you know, a, an asshole about food as we are. <laughs> like most people just eat things and like them. You know, yeah, and and actually shout out the infatuation because Angler is the, in my mind, the perfect where to bring your parents for dinner in LA. Yeah, yeah, it's like that the the neighborhood, the vibe. You know, it's going to be a crowd pleaser. You know, it's going to be good food, and it's like safe enough where they're not going to be like, "What's this? What? Why are we eating five different raw fish dishes?" Yes, you know? and then there's there's the uh, there's the neon Instagrammable sign. So mm. for your mom's like budding Instagram <laughs> account, she can also use that. So it really fits all needs in that kind of way. Exactly. Exactly. Well, that marks the end of day one of the food crawl, and I think we paced things really well. In fact, a little too well. You ordered something when you got back to the hotel, didn't you? Yeah, and that's actually the night that I ordered pizza because I was like, I want to revisit that, right? I want to try a different yeah. pie. We got home, and I and, and so you know when I think on that day. And you, if you were to ask me to rate it like one out of 10 or something, I would give it like an 8.59 with the only deduction points being one convenience, given that we're coming from the east side all the way west. And there was a couple Uber rides in there, uh, particularly between Santa Monica and Pizzana, which is a little longer. Um, and and because I think we, I, I, I would do it again the same way, but we may have left points on the board where like I got home from a food call and was still a little hungry, meaning yes. that I could have gone a little harder during yes. said food crawl. I wish I had I you know if my wife wasn't there I may have pushed us further. I think mm. I uh I think I may have made us go get tacos in the valley or something like that, which would have made absolutely zero sense logistically, but spiritually it would have felt right. That's know? right. That's right.
Yeah. Okay, look, we're moving on to day two, which was the Sunday. We just completed Saturday. And Sunday, we did go to brunch uh, at Cha 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 during the day. But honestly, that was like 100% vibes, 0% mm-hmm. about the food. So mm-hmm. we're not going to really talk about that. We're going to fast forward to the evening when our evening food crawl began. And we started in Big Bad Hollywood. And I am so excited for this one because Father Saul has has purposefully – not told me what he thinks about this restaurant so that he could share it right now. And it's a restaurant and a chef that I have talked about a lot. That's Evan Funky's Mother Wolf. Saul, you have the floor. So I I get where you and your wife are coming from, but uh where where are we coming from? Where, you're coming where, from the place where, where, where the where, where, where the pasta is you think a touch a touch plus a touch or more undercooked bit too toothy right it's 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 beyond even al dente it's it's a little you know the the chew on it is different it's a bit of a heavier pasta maybe not you know uh yeah it, it's it's essentially a little undercooked by by your guys's metric is that right borderline tough yes like it's it, it's it goes from being making you question whether it's just so undercooked because he wants to achieve al dente to making you question is this dough just tough mm-hmm yeah, that's right. And I, and I get that, uh, but I don't fucking care. That was good, dude. <laughs> yeah, day one listeners will remember, I think in our very first podcast episode, Luca asked me about handmade pasta. And I said, buddy, forget the handmade pasta. I'm a sauce boy. I'm yeah. all about that sauce. And damn, if that cacio e pepe and, and the guanciale we had. Uh, or Grecia. or uh, Grecia. Grecia, yeah. Pasta de Grecia. Oh, man. Those sauces hit, and they hit well. And I and I actually personally kind of liked the the like I don't know chewiness, heaviness of the pasta. It felt more substantial to me. I it, it was like a it was a thing where I I really think I'm not too picky about the level of doneness of pasta unless it's super overcooked, right? I don't want it to be like yeah. you know falling apart of the touch. I apparently have a lot of room to wiggle in the other direction, and if the sauce is hitting, I'm eating it, man. I totally get the Evan Funky, uh, the the sensation, the success. That was fucking good. That was good I, as possible. Look, I gotta say, even when I was eating it, I was like begrudgingly going mm, because yes, it's good. The flavor is good. I mean, the man can make a cacio pepe. I think one regret I have from us tactically is that we ordered the cacio pepe and the grisha mm-hmm. because we were saving room for other pastas or other uh, food later on in the night. And we ended up ordering two pastas that were virtually identical, if not for the guanciale and the grisha. And I wish we had gone with like, you know, an amatriciana or the ragu or something. So we could have mm-hmm. tried a different shape and a different, uh, a different sauce because I think also a different shape may have allowed you to better judge mm. the style of pasta. Then again, if you're just one of these lowly sauce boys, then maybe nothing <laughs> nothing would have changed your mind. The best kind oh, of boys, wow. the best kind of boys are sauce boys. But you're right, it's 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 almost an incomplete grade, but with high potential, right? It's it's for me, yeah. from my perspective, it's like a, a raw talent, but we gotta we gotta flesh out some of the other options, see what's there. But yeah, in terms of what we got, and I agree that it might have been wiser in the end to diversify we wanted to go for roman pastas because it's the mother wolf is a a roman concept but yeah i'd be curious to see the other ones but as of now mother wolf high in my esteem i i think that look i if this were just a restaurant that was serving pasta and was like somewhat acclaimed and whatnot 
I think I would have less of a problem with it. Mm. I think it's with the way that Evan like markets himself and portrays himself. Like if you look at the website for Felix, which is his like, you know, his sort of like flagship restaurant down in Venice, the bio says that he is, I quote, a culinary storyteller, a custodian (laughs) of Italian tradition and a master of the old world techniques of handmade pasta. Wow. Fuck off. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm I'm sorry. Like, it's just like so pretentious. And then like we I saw him speak at an at an event this weekend. Um, and he was on a panel with with my boy Daniele Oditi from Pizzana. And uh he, you can just tell that he, he's almost like playing a part of this like very like self-serious guy who tries to do like really kind of like down to earth but also badass and wise sound bites like at one point he said and i shit you not that doe senses fear and just like <laughs> and and he paused for like reaction do you know what i mean like it, to me the food comes through the same way it just comes through in a way that's a little bit a little bit austere and out of touch for a food that's supposed to be very humble very welcoming very accessible I don't know, man. It just all rubs me the wrong way. Like when I eat it, I begrudgingly, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But (laughs) I, but there are just things that like speak to the fact that it's just, it just ain't it. It's just against the spirit of it, you know? I I get it. I get it. But I will, but I I do wonder if, if Evan Funky was terrible at marketing himself and was highly introverted and you never knew him and you just had that pasta served to you, as you said, I think you might, I think you might be nodding your head as you eat it. Uh, I don't know, man. We'll see. Well, he just opened a new restaurant in Beverly Hills, and and it's called Funky. He's finally just gone the route of using his last name. So next time uh, you're in town, we'll go there. But look, following this restaurant, we went on a bit of a bar crawl. We went to Grandmaster Records in Hollywood. Then we took an Uber, and we went to El Prado in Echo Park, and we just uh, strolled up the street to go to Low Boy, and we ended up at our final destination, which was Button Mash, to try a new concept by Chef Diego Argotti, who had a had a pop up before this, a pasta pop up called Estrado Things, and he's now got a concept inside of Button Mash called Poltergeist. I'm just gonna pause. Um, I'm gonna let you have the floor to to, to give your take, um, but I just can't help smiling thinking about it. It was the best meal of the weekend. It was. That- oh shit! Really? <laughs> it was. It was. Yeah, and it, and part not just because of the food and like the really eclectic and really well done menu. I don't think that there was a bite I didn't like that we had, and it was that was the quintessential only in LA kind of place from the menu and and the way that he was combining different real like. Uh, local cuisines together throughout the menu in really creative ways to the fact that we're in a barcade eating some of the best food you can imagine ah that was that was my favorite favorite time we were with a good friend of yours sharif ours i should say sharif shout out sharif Sharif. (laughs) and yeah it was a blast now look as you noted, we had a had a bit of a we were coming in a little hot we had a bit of a bar crawl beforehand and we're we were a little loose we're a little loose but man what a menu what a meal, what an environment. No, I, I loved it top to back. So just to refresh your memory a little bit, what we ordered were honey walnut prawns with mm-hmm. head on, outstanding. 
we ordered an octopus al pastor with burrata mm. of all things and a, and a house made bread which was kind of like a, a charcoal pita thing there was a green curry bucatino handmade bucatino there was an incredible lamb neck with a Penang curry and oh. pomegranate molasses. And then there was a fucking game hen, which is the worst hen, but somehow they made it the best hen, stuffed with chicken gizzard sticky rice and banana ketchup on the side. It's just so sexy just coming out of my mouth. you know. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate the recap because, as I mentioned, we were coming in a little hot and my memories were a little fuzzy of the full menu, but what stood out, the green curry bucatino. Oh, the uh, the octopus burrata with that bread, the perfect bite when you had each piece of that plate. Oh my god, it hit perfectly. No, it was it was the ideal LA menu and LA experience. And I fucking I mean I hope Poltergeist, I know it's a sort of pop-up concert right now, but I hope it's here to stay. That was awesome. I think hands down I'm gonna say hands down best meal I've had all year, hundred percent. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think so. I think so. Especially in terms of value vibe. I, bro, I think we spent like under a hundred bucks each there. Wow. Was, and we, and we ordered like everything. We ordered everything, multiple drinks. Um, and, uh, afterwards we, we still had tokens left over to go play the Michael Jackson, uh, uh arcade game. <laughs> the, the, the weird and very definitely problematic Michael Jackson arcade game was the perfect way to to, to and end that night, night. Oh man, it was no, yeah. it was really great, and I and I loved that spot. Dream come true. So that's how we ended Sunday, and I think it's safe to say. I mean, I I wasn't hungry when I got home on Sunday. I was like a little lit and like pretty full. So I I think we we did Sunday to the fullest. Um, but Tuesday it was Saul's last night in town, and we decided that we had to basically conduct a mecca to one of Los Angeles's like most quintessential meals that is happening on a weekly basis and that is thai taco tuesday at anajak thai in the valley now for those of you who don't know anajak is a restaurant that's been around since 1981 but chef justin pichatrungzi who is the son of the owners basically like has come back after being away for a little while and doing his own thing and basically like taken the restaurant in a, such an interesting new direction. They've still got a lot of the classics, but every Tuesday they do this thing where basically they open up their alleyway, they let people sit there, it becomes like a block party, and there's this special menu of like really incredible out there dishes and also Thai classics with the most incredible list of natural wines you've ever seen and a sommelier who really knows his shit and and sells you <laughs> um <laughs> anything anything you're willing to buy basically um look i'll i'll let you have the floor for a moment and then I'll, I'll recap what we had yeah this was this was uh my number two meal of the weekend a really again special la unique experience the 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 top half of the menu where uh the the chef on thai taco tuesday really kind of flexes his muscle and tries to get creative with classic thai dishes and mix them together I mean, really, really nice. The 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 ambiance of just being in that alleyway, little music playing. You're you're eating off paper plates, but somehow you're eating like some of the finest food you will have in the city. Just yeah. I love I love that dichotomy when that happens. Like we're on like a on a foldable table eating some of the best Thai fried chicken, some of the best <laughs> and most creative. Uh, was it striped bass? Also bat uh, yes. or tacos? Oh my god. No, that was that was a really special, really special evening. The only downside, the only reason Poltergeist is above, I will say, is one, I think diversity of menu at Poltergeist helped. Two, 
while that dichotomy of like, hey, we're having a block party, we're eating off paper plates is fun, can make it a little messy. I, I, I yeah. need more than maybe one half napkin when I'm eating fried chicken with my hands and tacos and, to- and tostadas and all that. So I'll, I'll give yeah, it, no. that's why it's a notch just slightly below, but man, what a special menu, a must, a must attend if you are in LA. It, it was definitely giving messy family barbecue that we spent yeah. $300 on. Um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, but, but worth it in the sense that it's one of those experiences you can only get in LA mm. and you gotta love that. So just to run you back on or remind you what we had in terms of food, we ordered an ungodly amount of food because we were like, this is Saul's last meal here. We're going in. We got the striped bass tacos, which were the only taco on the menu, which a mm-hmm. little confusing given that it's called Thai Taco Tuesday. Um, very simple tacos. I think, you know, looking back on it, I think the secret ingredient that we were like, oh my God, what is that? I looked up the menu. I think it was just mayo, bro. I think it was really good mayo. <laughs> I fucking love mayo. I fucking love mayo, man. Mayo, mayo is my favorite food. Mayo is it's it's God's conditioner. That's what I say. Anyways, um, we've got we had kimpachi tostadas, which had uh, chili, lime, and marinated akura, which is that like Japanese red caviar. We had a chutoro and uni tostada. Mm-hmm. We had that beautiful half grilled black sea bream, oh, which yeah. was insanely good, crispy ass skin. It was in this beautiful sauce, which uh, when I looked it up, it's actually you know when you get those beautiful like uh, Thai dipping sauces. That you like, you like yeah, dip, yeah. Uh, dip, dip like uh, uh, lettuce wraps in, or like you know things like that in. It's it's a similar type of sauce, so it brings that sweetness, that sort of fishiness, that like sourness. And it was they basically created one of those for the for the fish to like to swim in, if you will. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. Brought all the flavors to the table. You we we had um, a fried chicken and sticky rice, which. I absolutely loved, and I think you could make a concept that is solely Thai fried chicken. Just call it TFC, and ju- just sell <laughs> that and sticky rice. You've got like a billion dollar business right there. We ordered crab fried rice, which was like sort of our like you know traditional dish, and it was it was good. It was like mm-hmm. you know what you'd expect. Yeah, yeah. But the star of the dish again, we come back to the same cut of pork that we had at Angler. It's the coppa, which is the it's it's the steak that's made from like the shoulder meeting the loin, and it is, it was their pork collar with coriander and soy molasses. Mm. Holy shit, that was good. Who a real real like MVP of the weekend is that cut of pork, and it was so interesting the because yeah. it was sliced almost exactly the same way as it was at Angler as well, but prepared entirely differently. Right, Angler was a thing just cooked over open flame, very simply presented. You could they had a little sauce on the side. But really, it was melt in your mouth. This was, as you mentioned, really well spiced, right? You had the had real flavor through the seasoning and the and the and the molasses that had uh, had uh, marinated the pork. So different experience, just as delicious. I, I, looking back, I mean, at the time, I said the taco was my favorite dish of the night. The sea bream was special. The sea bream was special. Yeah. yeah, that was that yeah. was a real unique, and that was the when you go on uh, Anna Jack's in, uh, Instagram, you'll see them each Thai Taco Tuesday cooking fish over an open fire and that was that dish oh so good it's something there's something so primal about that type of fish over an open fire it feels like mm. you've just been stranded in the wilderness and you've like spear fished it and like you have <laughs> to like make a fire and cook it it's there's something so like uh you know what i mean like it's uh you just want to make out with it you know to use a theme <laughs> of the night if you say so bud <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, man. Well, Thai Taco Tuesday. I mean, I'm going to go back for sure. I can't believe it's taken me this long to go, but I just want to wrap this up by asking you, I want you to rank the seven meals we had from seventh to first, and then I'll do it. All right. All right. I've teased this a little bit already, but I will, I, I'm, I, I'm shockingly going to put Pizzana in seven. I and knew that's, you would. You yeah. And, and that, that's more so, I think, due to the, in part due to the vibe of that particular location. It's a little like dark, dimly lit. The pizza's amazing, but it was just more like the overall experience. Both, like I said before, a little more muted versus some of the others. In six, I'm actually going to flip this on the spot. In six, I will put Angler. Um, for all the reasons we kind of wow. said. Special spot, good food, great, great uh, Iberian pork dish. But again, like just a solid, good restaurant that you could hit up in any kind of city that you're in. And I, will, I flipped that with Mother Wolf at five. Okay. Um, like I said, love the pasta. We only had a little sampling of the menu. And I will be also honest, the, the interior decor, the design of the place, not quite my vibe. It's very kind of gaudy and like, you of know. Mother Wolf? Of Mother Wolf, yes. Yeah. That's like, the, that's like the once redeeming like grace of that place is how fucking beautiful it is. Now we're flipped, right? I love the pasta. The, the, it's just, it's very beautiful. It's, it's high ceilings, light and airy, but just like, you know, over, over intricate kind of like, you know, really, like I said, gaudy, try, try. That was the part to me, the decor where I was like, you're trying pretty hard. You're trying a little too hard. That's fair. That's fair. I, I, I appreciate design. Um, unlike you, you uh, absolute, <laughs> absolute philistine, but that's uh -huh. okay. Uh -huh. Yeah, that's right. Um, after that, we're going to go crudo y nudo, number four, right below heavy handed. Those two are really hand in hand. They're right down the street from each other. Really wonderful. Heavy, heavy handed yes. gets, the, gets the bronze medal for you? Yes, it does. Wow. Uh, that burger is dope. That environment where they have a little, basically it's set, it's set back from the street in like an open space between two buildings, no roof, kind of a food truck is set in and then you have a little patio where people eat. Love that vibe. Love the burger. It was, it was just so solid. And I will, I like, I think the difference is simply that I more often than not would rather eat a burger than, you know, yeah. crudo, but really this neck is a and you neck. Problem. This is a me yeah. problem. All of this is a me problem, unless it's a you yeah. problem and we're talking about making out. But, uh, <laughs> and then, as I mentioned earlier, Anna Jack number two, just by a hair behind Poltergeist, the very best meal of the weekend, Incredible. a place that I would love to go back to. Um, we're going back. Yeah. We have to. Hell yeah. Ever, like, Hell yeah. We just have to. You know, it was, it was that good. Honestly, like, Button Mash hit us up. I'll wear a t shirt with your name on it. I'll do whatever <laughs> I have to. Let us back in. Um, okay, here's my ranking. I completely disagree. Actually, no, we, we have some similarities. But seventh, I'm putting heavy-handed because Ooh. I just believe you can get that anywhere now these <laughs> days. You can get You can get a quality smash burger on every block these days. So uh -huh. I just – it doesn't make it I, – I just have to put it seventh. Sixth, I'm putting Mother Wolf. I almost put it fifth, but then I remembered how much of a pretentious asshole that guy is, and I just – okay, sorry, sorry. He's not an asshole. I, I don't know him. He's probably a really nice guy. I apologize, Evan, on the off chance you ever listen to this. I am sorry. I don't actually think you're an asshole. You're probably a really nice guy, but I, I just you, – you look, let's have a conversation. Come on the pod. We'll talk it out. We'll have a cool <laughs> But you are going number six on my ranking. Fifth, we're going Angler. Because 
the more I thought about that dish, the more I was like, the more I thought about that meal, I was like, yeah, it's just a mall restaurant that happens to be pretty good at times. The mm-hmm. pork dish did put it above Mother Wolf for me, though. Yeah. Crudo Anudo is going fourth. Pizzana is going third simply mm-hmm. because, uh, I mean, Pizzana would always be my number one, but for this particular crawl, it's going to be number three. Thai Taco Tuesday is going two, and Poltergeist is going number yep. one. I completely agree with you on placing those first and second. Yeah, I, I do think, and you alluded to this, Thai Taco Tuesday might need a rebrand. I was expecting like six tacos. There was one yeah. taco on the menu, great taco, but maybe, I don't know, I, I think I think uh, maybe slightly false marketing, but still a great meal. <laughs> yeah, what would you call it instead? Uh, <laughs> Thai... Thai alleyway meals. Thai alley meals? No, yeah, I, well, I'm terrible. I'm terrible at branding. <laughs> terrible at comms. I'm out the game. All right. All right. Well, uh, now we know why you are no longer in communications. <laughs> Father Saul, rate the weekend. Rate the weekend out of 10. Uh, look, I gotta, I, I'll go 9.5 only because I want room to go higher. But man, yeah. what, what a fucking weekend. Um, I know everything there is to know about LA food now. I'm an expert. I've seen it all, done it all. Excellent itinerary. We really like crushed it. We went from one side of the city to the other, and there's so much more to explore. I can't wait for the next one. Yeah, man. Well, get back here soon, and we'll do it again. You will be back here soon, actually, for EatsCon. And by the Hell, way, folks, yeah. if you don't have your EatsCon tickets, go get them at the website that Brant, uh, Brant mentioned. We'll put it in the show notes as well. Um, but Father Saul, any, any words of wisdom you want to leave our audience with? Where's the wisdom? Go to EatsCon. It sounds fucking dope. Tom, Col- we we are obviously in the midst of a fantasy Top Chef battle, and Tom Colicchio, Gale, and Brooke Williamson are going to be there. Oh man, that put it over the top. And I gotta say, our man Brand did a good job of selling it. I love the concept. It's going to be a great time. Word of wisdom: Go to EatsCon. Go to EatsCon. All right, Father Saul. Good job by you. Good job by you. Thanks for listening to another episode of the LA Food Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks to Brant Cox and Father Saul for joining me as well. If you like what you heard, go to wherever you listen to podcasts, leave us a rating, a review, subscribe if you should be so inclined. And if you're looking for me, you can find me at the LA Countdown. That's T-H-E-L-A-C-O-U-N-T-D-O-W-N, both on Instagram and TikTok.